This episode of Intermission is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. Whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover on the service. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch, and instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. Try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Filmstage. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. Hello, I am Michael Snydell, and you are listening to the 10th episode of Intermission about Antonio Campos' 2016 film, uh, Christine. Intermission is a uh, film stage show spinoff podcast where a guest picks one art house, uh, experimental, or foreign film available on streaming, and we talk about it at length. Uh, today, my guest is Cody Corral. Uh, Cody, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, I'm Cody. I am a film critic in Chicago, writing mostly for the Chicago Reader and Cinephile. And also, I uh, co-host the Into the Twilight podcast, which is a podcast about Twilight <laughs> and other subsequent works. So today, we are talking about the... Uh, 2016 film uh, Christine and Christine is available uh, to stream right now on Hulu, Hoopla and Canopy. Uh, Christine recounts the story of the real life 1970s TV reporter Christine Chubbuck who works at uh, a Sarasota, Florida news station and um, ended up actually committing suicide on, on air and uh, so the, it's a fascinating enough story in itself, and we will get into that, but it's even, uh, it's even stranger that uh, documentarian Robert Greene also made a film in 2016 influenced by Christine Chubbuck called Kate Plays Christine. But before that, I do want to give my thanks to our lovely sponsors, Mubi. Uh, Mubi is a curated streaming service with an ever-changing collection of hand-picked films from new directors to award winners from everywhere on Earth. Uh, they're beautiful, interesting, incredible movies, and they are always chosen by the uh, incredibly well-versed curators at uh, Mubi. It's available to watch in 190 countries, and uh, it's the world's biggest community of film lovers with over 9 million members around the globe. Uh, you can stream or download all of their movies anytime on any screen or device anywhere, and you'll never see a single ad on Mubi ever. Uh, and right now, Mubi has uh, a number of really interesting collections that you can check out, including uh, one that I'm extremely excited about from... Um, Japanese uh, director Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Uh, the uncanny universe of Kiyoshi Kurosawa includes 
Um, yeah, you know, he's probably best known for uh, the fantastic Pulse, but uh, the collection includes things like Penance, A Beautiful New Bay Area Project, uh, Creepy, Tokyo Sonata, and uh, Doppelganger. Uh, and then another uh, collection that's worth looking into is uh, Indian director, experimental Indian director Amit Duda, uh, who they're having a retrospective on, including a film called uh, Nine Souk, uh, which I deeply apologize if I'm uh, if I'm butchering that name, but I've heard uh, also fantastic things about that one. But uh, today I actually want to spotlight uh, Iris Sachs' 2012 film, Keep the Lights On. As Movie describes it, premiering at Sundance, this indie is a sensitive look at the life cycle of an imperfect match. Director Iris Sachs based the script on his own personal relationship, but it transcends the personal aspects of its experience to form a universal and resonant look at the bonds formed through a partnership. I have not seen that one, but everything I've seen from uh, some, from Sachs has been uh, excellent, including uh, Love is Strange. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you can check that out and uh, many other things in the library. And uh, yeah, thank you again to our, our sponsors, Movie, for uh, continuing to uh, support us. And now we can get to the main film at hand, which is the aforementioned uh, Christine by Antonio Campos. So kind of to begin before we get into the film or anything, I, Cody, why did you want to talk about this film today? Yeah, I, as you know, I work in journalism, uh, specifically public broadcasting, uh, similar to Christine Chubbuck. And like, I really admire this film. And when I first watched it, I was still like in J school and still an already very like frustrated with the industry and with all these, like the way we talk about like mental illness and the way we talk about like protecting journalists specifically, because there's such a, there's such a mentality of obsession and of speed. Um, that's also very detrimental to like psycho psychology and like human brains. Um, and Christine was the first time I really saw that in a film about journalism, which I largely dislike as a genre. <laughs> that was really impactful for me and was like really got at that frustration that I was really like consumed with. And it was just done in such a really, really great way. And I think Rebecca Hall is fucking fantastic and I love her so much. And I think she's really good as Christine. Um, and yeah, it just really made me think like about a wider contextualization of like journalism films specifically, but also like, the actual emotional ramifications of like this very, you know, steadfast industry that's like, you're supposed to be like tough and emotionless and all this stuff. But like, there's actually, there's, you know, ramifications on the other side that like, I think that tackles really well with this very like specific subject. Well, can you speak a little bit more? I, I, I'm curious because I, I think that I have very similar feelings to a number of things that you were yeah. saying about the notion of, of mental illness related to, especially I, I was thinking a lot about, I've been thinking especially in relation to the last couple of years and, and the social climate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how crime reporting right. works. Totally. But, but, in, uh, but it, 
You know, I think that does bring me, before we get into the film, uh, to something that you're already talking mm-hmm. about, that the the kind of genre of journalism films, it, it's, it is very much, uh, you know, pitched to this certain, you know, uh, <laughs> craven reporter. Yeah. You, you know, you have things like Network, which are you know, haven't aged particularly well in part because its sanctimoniousness feels a little bit, you know, just kind of all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, you have things like Nightcrawler, which (laughs) literally borrows, if it bleeds, it leads. Or, you know, even things like To Die For, right? Which I I love that movie, but Nicole Kidman is is very much the epitome (laughs) of, you know, the ambulance chaser uh, archetype as well. Right. Um, so I, I'm just curious, what can you speak a little bit more about your general relationship with films about journalism? Uh, yeah, I mean, the two that I, I really actually like are Christine and Nightcrawler, which are very pessimistic films about the industry, but I think are like really, they really get at sort of a, a realness to to the field that like, I don't know, others might not in the same way. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, this whole it bleeds, it leads thing and like ethics and stuff are really, they're really impactful, like, or really meaty themes that really work within a journalism context. And I think also with Christine, like journalism and like mental illness are very like parallel in terms of like what, like what suits one another. Um, and I think that using Christine as like a vehicle for, for mental illness, especially in journalism, like it makes sense because she, you can tell that above anything else, she is like a career person and like, we'll just do anything. We'll, you know, chase these police scanners and like, is always about this, like the, the goal is the career and the goal is the upward mobility in that career or whatever. Um, and is also fueled by this obsessive, like mental illness and like sort of distancing yourself from like the social order and from like, you know, social cues and actual relationships and stuff and like really feeds into each other in a very like sickly kind of way, but one that like happens a lot, I feel like, and that it's actually quite easy for that transition to happen, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. I I can't help but uh, go back to that word obsessive because you just, that is such a specific characterization that's so often well, related to kind of bad faith yeah, <laughs> depictions totally. of, of mental illness. Totally. Or, or, you know, something like Ace in the Hole or, you know, like there, there are so many uh, depictions of this that especially like the logline of this film would suggest that it's going in that direction. Right. And, and, you know, as we've, as we've already mentioned, this does certainly culminate in a tragedy. But I think I'm way less interested in what this has to say about watching violence on TV mm. than what it has to say, again, about mental illness and specifically how that relates to how it's communicated mm. uh, to other people. Chubbuck, uh, in a way, has a lot of character- characteristics that would put her in this, like, awkward loner role. Yeah, totally. And, she, you know, she does have those, you, you know, like... I, I don't mean to point to her like her disinterest in in drinking because that, that that's not that's not to say someone who doesn't drink is right abnormal, but yeah. rather the fact the way some of these wholesome qualities are are framed yeah um, does feel 
very unique mm-hmm. um, to, to this kind of story. So I, I guess what I was saying is, like, I, I think, again, what it has to say about how you present yourself to others, how much performance goes into being on camera, right. and then specifically what it has to say about this certain uh, certain positivity. Like, yeah. you know, most directly in the transactional analysis scene, but uh, in general, I, I feel like especially now, people who are in the, their 20s to 30s or, you know, even younger generation, Mm -hmm. like they're pretty comfortable with mental illness conversations. And then you get into some of these older generations, which this is in the seven, the, in the seven, the seventies. And like those conversations were not at all being had, even though you can see a number of these people are very clearly in the, in the throes of depression. But I, I think you're totally right though, that this isn't really, it doesn't seem to be that interested in what it's concretely about, yeah. which I think is what made a lot of people kind of uncomfortable with. Yeah, it. absolutely. Cause like, it's not, I mean, while that, like that moment of her, you know, committing suicide is like definitely like a shock. Like it's a kind of a jump movement. You are like expecting that the whole time. And that is very clear kind of even from the beginning that like something sinister is, and she is unwell. And like, this is probably going to end up, there are a lot of, you know, cues leading up to that that are like she's buying a gun and like she's really not happy and like all these things um that it's less like it's not yeah it's not really like a commenter on like violence or even this it leads it leads kind of thing like that's part of it but it's really more you know exactly what's going to happen and you know how it's going to end and it's not going to be good but you're just like watching this slowly like devolve and watching this person sort of like becomes so like detached from from herself and her sense of the world that it's just like she just doesn't want to be a part of it anymore you know and that's more like I think the internal thing it's grappling with rather than just kind of like more of a structural like journalism problem or whatever which you know could be talked about forever but like it's very very much a personal individual case study than like something larger I feel like which is definitely like off base a little bit and it's definitely a little bit weirder but like I don't know. It's kind of more intimate, I feel like. Yeah. So this, uh, so Christine premiered at Sundance Mm -hmm. in uh, January of 2016. And I wouldn't say it necessarily had a a muted reception, but I definitely know that there were some people with some very strong feelings about it. I can particularly remember, I think it was, I think it might be Jonathan Rosenbaum who gave it something like a half star (laughs) on the letterbox. Uh, And I think, um, Uh, Glenn Kenny, uh, a prominent critic at the, I think it was for the New York Times even, he was just like incensed about the existence of of this film. I I mean, did you have any general feelings about that? Yeah, I don't know. I I have a hard time like trying to, or trying to like justify or finding the the need to justify something like that. I don't know. Like, I I think something that was interesting in Kate Plays Christine, where there's this very moment where this woman who is trying to play Christine Chubbuck uh, tries to do the suicide scene, and she's like, she breaks down and is like, I can't find a way to make this make any sense. And there's nothing, this is pointless, there's nothing about this or whatever. And it's, like, very powerful, but I have a, I think it's an incorrect framing of it, at least personally, because, like, I, I I, don't think necessarily that's, like, I don't know. I think that for, obviously, in the way that this is framed, and I don't know the real story, and none of us really 
have any connections to that. It's just like, that was the only exit for her in her mind. And you're just kind of watching this unfold and knowing it's happening. And I don't think I ever find myself needing to be like, I don't know, trying to like, there's a lot of things I feel like I'm grappling with it, but like, I don't necessarily think, I think you're just watching this story of this, this woman kind of like not losing it, but just like slowly and slowly kind of just not fitting in with, with the social order and with the the world around her and just like leaves, you know? And I think, I, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of feelings I have that I'm maybe not like super concrete about, um, but yeah, I don't know. No, I, I think it's totally fair. And I, I want to be clear. I'm not like clutching my pearls here and being like, how dare right. you find this, totally. <laughs> find this moving or entertaining. But I, I think, I, I think it is still, um, I think it's still a productive conversation to mm-hmm. at least get kind of your, your baseline right. about how, uh, dramatizations of past events, whether they're tragic right. or simply, you, you know, uh, the past, um, you, you know, the, the entirety of it. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is like, not, I don't think it's exploitative personally. Like I do not view it as exploitative. And I don't think that like every time you see someone commit suicide on, in like media depiction or like some mentally ill depiction of mental illness, like, I don't think that's inherently exploitative. I think it's, I think it is done quite it's, I don't know if it's graceful, but it's just as ungraceful as Christine Chubbuck, I feel like, where it's just, like, it's messy, and it's raw, and it's, like, not a very, like, tie-up-in-a-bow kind of situation um, in that kind of way. Because I think that's what happens sometimes. Like, I think that's a very real thing, and I don't think, like, shying away from that is, like, in order to be, like, oh, bo- good gracious, like, this that is too, is too, too much, you know? Like, I think that's just, like, a real reality that, you know that should be faced and should be should be discussed and like it's not pretty and it's really distressing and it's like but also I don't know like the fact that I didn't even like learn about Christine Chubbuck like in four years of journalism school it's like I think these are meaningful conversations to have about like what the fuck this industry can do to people if you are not like you're chemically imbalanced to fucking do it in the way that you are supposed to, you are expected to. Yes. Well, that does, uh, that does kind of bring me. So were you familiar with Chubbuck's story whatsoever when you first saw this film? I mean, what is your, what what was kind of your general reaction to Chubbuck's story? I I know you started to talk about it, but I'm just trying to get a sense of more of a timeline and things like that. Totally. Yeah, I had no idea when I first watched it. Like, I had, I had nothing. Um, so that was the first time I really ever knew anything about it. But after watching it, I was, like, really, really fascinated with her and her story. Um, and it was also, you know, quite frustrated that that was not something that's really discussed in the same way. And I, I, th- I do think it's hard, too, because, like, obviously all that footage has been destroyed and there's no real, like, archive yeah. of the actual event at all. Um, which, you know, there are ethical qualms on either side of, you know, that. Uh, but, like, that is such, that, this is at the core of, like, so many problems within the industry, you could feel like, in terms of, like, this constant obsession and this constant pressure to be more invested in the work than you are in yourself, right? And that is, like, that will lead you down a terrible path so quickly if that is all that you have, you know? 
and there are no structural like things in place to like subside that or to help with that it's just like that's what you're expected to do and that's the industry and it's like that this is what happens though if that is the case and you're like if you're mentally ill or have any other you know things like that that are just like you're not the standard of like going hard and fast you know yeah, I mean, in a way, this is, like, even beyond... I, I mean, we can speak absolutely to specific journalistic expectations, but this really is, a, like, kind of a portrait of uh, American exceptionalism. Yeah. Uh, in a oh, way. Yeah. Uh, and the way that just, like, you know, totally excludes any, uh, you know, possibility of, of how that uh, that achievement, like you know, can compromise your own, right. your own self, totally. like not even, not even in like a moral way, but rather just like who you are mm-hmm. from moment to moment. Yeah. You know, a, a philosophical question that, you know, I, I don't think everyone who's watching this film is thinking, you know, uh, so minutely about, right. for instance, yeah. how she chooses to frame, you know, the interview with the, the man who's, house burned down mm-hmm. because he was holding a cigarette. Um, but that's still nonetheless something I'm absolutely thinking oh, about. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that Mike played by Tracy Lutz, his immediate uh, reaction to seeing that uh, that interview is, w- w- where's the B-roll, the fire? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's like, that's the big, that's the big thing. And you got the dude with the cigarette. Like, <laughs> It is interesting too, to see that kind of like, her working and like all the stories that she's kind of like pivoting back and forth to kind of doing. Um, Cause obviously she works at a very like underfunded public media station, <laughs> like local affiliate in, in Florida and Sarasota. Um, and they're just like, we need something exciting and something jazzy to get ratings. Like that's the biz. Sorry. Like, and she's like doing all this investigative work and she's talking about like transit and like, talking to like city council members and everyone's like don't we don't care about that like what's you know let's do some fun quote-unquote viral but it's the 70s so whatever but it's like that kind of fun content uh and but then also so she does some of that and also sort of pivots to this like very very like gets in this obsessive hole with like the police scanner um and then goes to this more like going to the scene and doing more like really hard stuff and it's just like it's a very interesting like back and forth, I feel like, to doing, like, sort of fruity news <laughs> to just more, like, something really emotionally distressing, kind of. I think it's also interesting, too, that she's, like, in addition to her fixations on the police scanner, she's so obsessed with her own self-image and how she appears on tape, which I think is really fascinating. Like, that first shot in the film, she's, like, framing an interview with herself and no one's on the other side. And is just rolling tape on herself and gets upset that there's like fake flowers. And she's like, it's all fucked up. This is, this is not perfect. This is fucked up. But like, she's always constantly recording herself and looking at her movements and like her very subtle, like body language and all these things because she is so like consumed with like the perception of her and, and herself. And like, I think it's interesting too, that like that culminates at the end where she's like, when uh, she actually has that last segment, like, is like you got to record this i want this for my reel like this is gonna be good and it's just like this really weird relationship with like with the camera and with the audience and and obviously as a viewer too that like they're all kind of interacting with each other and all kind of somewhat complicit in everything in a sort of weird way that you're witnessing it and you can't really stop it um 
Yeah, I just think it's really fascinating how that's done. It's weird, too, because in that previous scene, she's almost had that entirely dismantled by that Bob yeah. Anderson conversation. Oh, yeah. John Cullum's character. Because, um, you know, he, you know, not only is there some, uh, I was going to say light sexism, but let, let, let's right. be honest. It's yeah. a, <laughs> he says that some blonde number, I, I think is. <laughs> diets. I love this. Uh, and then you find out that George Michael C. Hall's character, you know, is going to Baltimore. He's bringing Andrea, uh, the sports person. But like again, when Bob is talking <laughs> about George, he says like his three words no. that he uses to describe George. He's, he's right. like, "You have a steady paternal presence." <laughs> like it's it's nothing right. about his uh, reporting. It's nothing about how he does things. It's nothing. In a way, it's not even about body language. It's just about, like, his existence as a right. figure. Yeah. It's like, you're a dude, and you're a little charming. Done. <laughs> Hound out to Baltimore. Meanwhile, Christina's just, like, like, put, like, super fixating on every tiny moment her body makes <laughs> to look exactly the way she wants to be read. There is kind of an interesting question, even beyond all of the internal factors you know that are affecting her about whether she really should be an anchor or should be on camera like uh, like i think that's another kind of odd or odd thing that the film comments on again without really like fully committing to it as like a material part of the plot or anything right yeah i don't know i mean watching her it feels like she would be so good as just like a producer (laughs) But, like, I feel like also, too, it it plays into this, like, they are super underfunded and they are all doing multiple jobs at the same time, right? Like, uh, they all have to, like, learn to do their own video and their own camera stuff by the end of the month because they can't afford to, like, hire actual camera guys. Like, they all have to be doing stand-ups by themselves for a large part of it. Like, they're just, like, I think constantly having to adapt because they cannot take any more kind of people in terms of like goals or something that she's looking towards it's all career-based and that's the only thing she's like really framing her life with and to an extent because she doesn't have a lot of personal relationships and obviously not a lot of romantic uh relationships and she is so this one vehicle of like the projection of her life it is through career and i think that obsession and that like hindrance towards the career is like just trying to go up and up and up and up as far as you can because like when i first watched it i was like why would she even want to go to baltimore to begin with like I don't, she doesn't seem like she likes this very much. She doesn't seem like whatever, but she's like incredibly ambitious to a fault. And like, I think the only, Hmm. she's just only seeing life in her career as just continuing to move forward and climb up the ladder until I guess you're at the top, you know, until there's nothing else. Cause there's no other way to frame her life or like what else is to come or the future, you know? One of the first scenes mentions that her birthday is coming up and you know, her mom, uh, Jay Smith, Cameron, um, who, oh, wow, she's the one from Succession. I just realized that. Oh, my God, that. yeah. Okay. Hell, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, though, uh, yeah, Peg, uh, her her mother, like, you know, keeps asking her about her birthday and what she wants to do. And I mention that because you find out right near the end that she's going to be 30. Yeah. I think that contextualizes that certain ladder in, in yeah. a in an even more extreme way, mm-hmm. like in the sense that she shouldn't, she shouldn't be putting quite as much pressure right. on herself at this moment. Like it's, you got time. I, I understand. Okay. Like you can just, <laughs> like, 
there will be opportunities. Like, and, and I, I recognize you cannot ever say like chill or relax to a, a person who's experienced depression or anxiety. Sure. Like, yeah, that's that's the last thing you ever want to say. But it's still like, no, like big big picture. You don't have to worry quite this much. Like, I was like, no, go for that ice cream. <laughs> it's like everyone on Twitter that's like, oh, my God, I'm going to die when I'm 30. Like, it's just like this weird mentality. It's like, it's OK. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Please relax. It's really interesting to me how often it shows her routine. Yeah. In the morning. There's kind of like this rhythmic repetition kind of scattered throughout all of it. Like, especially in the newsroom, there's kind of this like rustle and bustle of like the cameras moving and the film being put in and like all this kind of stuff. Like it's kind of this like cacophonous like thing of everything's happening at once. Um, And also this very like in comparison, like this very mundane everyday, like get ready with me (laughs) kind of morning thing that she does every single day. And like this constant like repetition of, of every day for her and every like all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting, like, rhythm throughout, I feel like. So this is very much a period film. And, yeah. and I think it continually reminds you of that with not only the newsroom atmosphere mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, just kind of the ingrained sexism and, and the certain right. uh, natural order of the moment. Mm-hmm. But I, then I feel like you're you're getting a few more complications of the period you, you get these regular pop songs yeah. not, not even pop songs they're like adult contemporary easy listening you know like john denver's one of the first but then the rest like <laughs> you, you know uh, yeah. to, to make a chicago reference it's like it's like uh you know go-to's on the river oh <laughs> for <yeah>. instance <laughs> or, or like dentist music uh sure. for a more universal totally. yeah. <laughs> uh comparison but I, I think Joe Anderson and the DP and Campos, like, they're very clear about not only the period, but just how cramped everything is. Yeah. And I, I know you can probably speak to this especially, uh, like, all of those uh, news studios and sets mm. are so much smaller <laughs> than you think they Yeah. Are. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it is a claustrophobic film. Absolutely. <laughs> Like, like even the, you know, the main newscast is this small counter, but then like those one in one interviews is this dingy, you know, like very evocatively off space. (laughs) It's kind of impeccable that like, there's like six people that work there and it still feels like too many because they just don't fit in rooms. (laughs) It's just like, there's not, this is too cramped. I can't do this. Um, I think I bring up the period stuff because I think it is something of a little dissonance I, I have with this this film because I just don't quite know what to make of its combination between a character study and like a very conscious time capsule. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I definitely view it more as this very like intense character study. Um, I think it's obviously very clearly trying to be this... Uh, this period piece. Um, but I think that's more like adornments around her rather than like the actual meat of the movie, at least from my understanding of it. I think there's probably ways that could have been integrated better. And I think also this question of like treatment of mental health stuff too, right? Whereas like that conversation wasn't happening then and that 
you know, obviously from like a distance viewer, it feels like this is clearly a problem. This should be, we should talk about this, but it's like, that's, it's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, I never, I've always thought of it more as kind of like, like backdrop of, of this, like this woman and her story and her kind of like inner workings or whatever, rather than just like them working together in some kind of way, which maybe would have been more beneficial. Um, but I don't know. Well, maybe a more productive, explicit uh, question is, do you think Campos actually cares about that message? Well, that very didactic message about the effects of violence? Yeah, I don't know. Because it feels like, like we were talking about earlier, it feels very less like a film that is concerned with like showcasing violence or pivoting towards very violent content. Because that's, that's part of the plot and kind of part of her progression into the industry. But I think it's like less focused with like the ramifications of that rather than just the ramifications of being a mentally ill person without any resources and also in a very damning field that kind of pushes your limits. But I don't know. There might be a larger conversation about like, yeah, I think there is where it's like these stories that we gravitate to and largely did for a very long time and sometimes still do um, without really any ethics or like accountability or like really questioning what that means and what that's actually representing um, is huge. It has a huge impact, but I don't think the film is as really concerned with that than other things, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I, you'll have to clarify this for me because it's, it's been a while, but I, I will say having just rewatched Christine, mm-hmm. it it uh, distinctly does not end when she yeah. uh, shoots herself. Right. Y- you get kind of a, they might not, they're not quite vignettes, yeah. but they are kind of a montage of different reactions mm-hmm. to first her being in the hospital and passing, and then, um, you know, uh, you know, physically gripping, or, right. excuse me, physically grappling with it. You know, yeah. you have George saying, uh, it's, oh shoot, I think it's, it's some variation of it's okay, mm-hmm. uh, we're okay, it's okay, we're okay, like this, uh, mantra, um, yeah. which seems very much like, again, a, uh, coming from the transactional, um, analysis uh, totally. kind of thing, too. Yeah. I, I mentioned that because I believe Kate plays Christine literally ends on her, uh, mimicking the death in a way yeah. she feels is real mm-hmm. uh, yeah. is kind of the word yes yeah she basically like she has this whole kind of monologue where she's like I don't get it because this whole film right she's grappling with like how to embody this person that you know not a lot of people have direct communication with or contact with like down all these decades right um and but she does really interesting work where she really like Take, does a lot of work to embody her for what seems like a very shitty film. <laughs> like, where it seems like she's, like, really going and talking to these people and, like, going to the newsroom and the gun store and, like, all this stuff where she's really trying to, like, build up this person. And even by the end of it, she's like, this person does not make sense to me. And the way that she chose to end her life does not fundamentally make sense to me. Even after all this research and all this work of constructing this person and reanimating this person. Um, and so she has this monologue about that and then just like, you know, while they're rolling and like still does it just to be like, are you happy now? And then it kind of just like ends, which is like yes. very dark, but like, 
I understand. Like, she's putting in all this stuff and, like, it's still just unsatisfied with it, which is fair. Like, it's an unsatisfying thing, obviously, and maybe not something that's easily justifiable or something that's, like, comfortable to sit with. But it's just, like, it's a very interesting interpretation of, of everything and embodying this person. It's, it's interesting, too, that it's almost, in a way, an extrapolation of that, uh, I, I don't want to play armchair psychologist, but <laughs> the, uh, the manic episode that yeah. she has when she's talking to to Michael and showing this footage, essentially, of, like, proto-reenactments. Yeah, totally. Um, like, in a way, Kay plays Christine is, is almost entirely that scene yeah. extended out into a feature film when the camera's both on and, or the camera's always on. Right, Even yeah. when the scene is not on. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it, it is, in hindsight, very strange that I think I did have a reaction of exploitation towards this. Mm-hmm. And I did feel that Kate plays Christine felt a lot more honest about this. Sure. And yeah. I, I'm finding in our conversation that does seem <laughs> strange because Kate plays Christine is very emphatic <laughs> about yeah. the violence almost being the point. Like not, not in the right. exact same way as something like, you know, Hanukkah's, uh, or, Michael Hanukkah? Hanukkah? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, either way, I, in the way of uh, funny games. You know, it, it's not like you just watched, uh, you know, um, you would just watch people being tortured for two hours. Shame on you. Right. Like, I, I don't think either of these films are that, but I think there is a complicating thing, I guess, maybe going back to how... Um, how precisely this is reenacted right. that it does feel um, pointless. Isn't the word I'm looking for, but it feels like an end in, in itself um, in not stylizing it in a way. Right. But totally. I think you make a great argument that this is far less about the violence yeah. than, uh, you know, uh, you know, class issues, mm-hmm. then mental illness issues, right. then uh, social perception. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just curious if you have, especially as someone who just watched Kate plays Christine. Right. I, did you have some somewhat conflicted feelings about it? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Kate plays Christine is much more about the performance of someone, or the act of performance and the pursuit of performance than Christine Chubbuck. Like, there's obviously this sort of, like, journalistic nature to it where she's really actively trying to, like, find out about her, but it is for the purpose of her own performance and for her own career and her own skill, right? And, like, you're kind of getting a connection there and you're getting an understanding of who this person was through, like, all these different people that she's talking to and all these different places. Um, But I don't know if it's, like, really... I don't feel like she, I don't know. There's like a weird disconnect, right? That you were saying that it's like, it just feels mm. like not entirely, it's not as obviously in your face as Christine is because it is quite literally a biopic about Christine Chubbuck. Whereas this is more just like about a woman who is playing Christine Chubbuck and more, how does she make that the most perfect performance she can? And how does she tap into this mentality? Right. I don't know. I think it was really well done and I quite enjoyed it, but I think it's definitely two very different interpretations of the story for obvious reasons. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I very much agree with you with what's on screen, but in a way, isn't Rebecca Hall's off-screen preparation very similar to, you oh, know, sure. Caitlin Shiel? Sure, yeah, I bet it is, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they did very similar, like, research kind of work to to do that, maybe to different extents, but... Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's different because I'm not actively thinking about that when I'm watching it, you know? Like, obviously, Kate plays Christine. You are forced to kind of... That's all you're watching. You're just, you're just watching this woman embody this person she's never met before and has no... And is just trying to figure that out. Whereas Christine, I'm like, that's Christine. <laughs> like, she's just Christine. Or I'm like, it's Rebecca Hall, but I'm not thinking about Rebecca Hall thinking about being Christine, if that makes sense, in that same way. No, it, no that, that does totally make sense. Yeah. I, I think... I, I'm making, I'm reaching here, <laughs> but I, I think that there are another, a number of points in Campus Christine that feel uh, very intentionally obvious, you know, whether mm-hmm. you want to go to the, you know, her enacting puppet shows yeah, uh, in this <laughs> seemingly uh, noble gesture mm-hmm. that uh, is nonetheless like very self-serving. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, oh, totally. it's her version of transactional analysis yeah. I, I, in a way. Um, I, I mean, I, I, which is not to say that it immediately takes you out, mm-hmm. but I think there is again, Kate plays Christine is artificial from its first seconds. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is telling you immediately there is a camera on a person impersonating another person. Right, totally. Christine is the acknowledgement that a movie star is fully embodying this human being mm-hmm. as her days exist, as the possibility of what her conversations with other people were like. Okay. But I don't know what to make of the moments where that is breaking that constructed reality. Oh, sure. <laughs> like Kate plays yeah. Christine, I al- always know is constructed. Right, yeah. And of course, any film is constructed. Right. But there's something then all the more, like, disruptive mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> about, or, you know, here's something that is a metaphor related to an internal and external struggle. yeah. Totally. And to like, to bring it to one last example, like I think of something like Fruitvale Station, Mm -hmm. a film that really frustrated me in part because it seemed to stack the deck with, with, you know, like he's helping a dog. He's so kind to his family. Mm -hmm. He's so kind to his kids, which like, by all accounts, this person deserves to be valorized. Like they absolutely do. It was a horrifying tragedy in its complete context, but Mm. also to make a film where he's a saint (laughs) is murdered at the end. Yeah. It's, it's not an exact parallel. Right. Sure. But I I guess like those groupings aren't a far jump from me, which is in part why I like talking about this. Yeah. I, I, I totally understand the qualms and I think it is, I definitely think like the puppet stuff is the, the least like the weakest part of it for me. Uh, I think they are definitely breaks from, from the structure and from kind of the, the meat of it really. Like it's obviously a very clear illustration of her mental illness and also communicating 
in a way that makes her feel like she's in control or whatever um, through this kind of artifice and performance and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's obviously kind of, like, weird. Like, it's a weird jump a little bit (laughs) from, like, this very tailored, very structured, very orchestrated kind of thing. Um, Yeah, so I definitely, I, I, I... I totally understand those qualms. Absolutely. What, what, what do you make, for instance, of the removal of the, of, of or excuse me, that she needs to get her ovary remo- removed because of a cyst? Yeah, I think her relationship to her body and also, like, sex more largely is, is very fascinating because uh, she's essentially given, like, like, a ticking time bomb where it's like, if you don't have kids within like two years, you won't be able to have kids, period. And she's obviously like, she's a virgin and has never really had a romantic relationship and has this like budding crush on uh, one of her coworkers. Um, But it's just like, feels fully inequipped to even get that started. So feels just like doomed from the start in that kind of way. And I think it's a weird relationship to like, you know, one's own autonomy and one's own relationship to one's body. especially probably at that time, uh, definitely heightened uh, for obvious reasons. Um, But yeah, it is something that's like not as eloquently weaved throughout everything. It's kind of like, it's a bit of a jarring moment when it first happens. And then obviously when it kind of gets more into her uh, virginity and also just her wanting a relationship, a sexual relationship with her coworker or a romantic one, it becomes more like embedded into the narrative. Um, but it is kind of like fragmented totally. I mean, in that sense, I'd like to, to shift to, to Jean a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, is, is Maria Dizia. Um, yeah. Who's a, who's, who's wonderful in, in this. And I, I do immediately, um, it, it's not unconvincing or anything, but I, I do immediately find it an interesting construction that she seems to look up to Christine. Yeah. You know, she's very much like behind the scenes. Right. But I, like Jean very much cares what Christine thinks. Yeah, absolutely. I've found Christine's reaction after Jean like gets her opportunity mm-hmm. kind of unfair. <laughs> given yeah. How, oh, sure. like, yeah. How loyal she's been. <laughs> yeah. I don't know though if she is aware of that loyalty in the same way that that she would be. I don't know. Like, I feel like she's just like, she's quite selfish and obviously not at a personal fault, but just kind of because of her construction, the way that she kind of moves around, she is just like, she has very tenuous relationships with people and they are largely unsuccessful. Um, And I think that her relationship with Jean is, is really interesting where it's like, obviously Jean is like very, considers herself a very close friend of her of Christine's and like really will bat go to bat for her. Um but I don't know that Christine knows how to respond to that in a way that's like quote unquote normal, right? Um so it feels like a very unjust or unequal kind of relationship because Christine is I think still very focused on just like career stuff and not really investing in personal relationships because she feels really unequipped to do that, it feels like. Um, so I think when there's actively people reaching out and being like, I care about you. She's like, I don't know how to process this. I'm going to be back into my hole and I don't know how to do this. Goodbye. Um, which like, you know, fair enough. (laughs) 
I, it, yeah, I, I feel like, too, it, it's not like... Uh, I, I think it's to the film's credit that, again, going back to Peg, her mom, her mom isn't like that obvious dysfunctional presence. She's not right. like, yeah, you, you know, there's no, you know, apparent qualities of a, a sadism or right. yeah, <laughs> like or even the possibility of a like past, uh, you know, neglect or right. yeah. <laughs> anything. In a way, it's it's almost like her certain antisocial tendencies are a, a little bit like if there's one thing that's a mystery that might actually be it rather mm-hmm. than the question of why she felt uh you know pushed uh, right as you're saying is the word you use exit yeah. right i don't know i think a relationship with her mother is quite interesting because she's obviously very uh does not know how to deal with christine even a little bit um and not from a malicious intent, like you were saying, like it is, she very much has love in her heart for Christine and like wants her to be okay. But there is this overprotectiveness of like, she is treating her like a child constantly because that's how she kind of views her still because she is, her brain is different and she like processes things different and her relationships are different and the way she communicates is very different. Um, so like even from the beginning, like they like she calls, uh, Christine calls her mom like, roomie or like friend or something like it's this very weird like layers of relationship where they're like kind of friends and like still kind of maternal and still kind of like christine's a baby you know and like you have to protect her because she's fragile or she's like a faberge egg like she's this very delicate thing that she feels like this have this like relationship over um and i think that doesn't really help christine's case where like she doesn't know they never really know where they stand with each other at any moment. I feel like it's always kind of this like teetering, like, where are we at? I don't know, like what's going on. And obviously this introduction of like uh, this person that uh, her mom sees, like this this man she starts seeing, like that swings the whole relationship out of whack. Where again, there's like this new territory that Christine is, you know, historically not great to adapting to. Um, and it's just like, oh, these things are like happening at once. And it's very overwhelming. I'm trying to think, are, are, are there some other things that you wanted to talk about? my thoughts i guess i'm i'm curious as to like if you feel like a specific like relationship as a viewer or as an audience member watching this like is there a certain relationship you have because you're watching there's like a lot of layers of watching to this right because obviously there's cameras and there's television and then there's stuff behind the scenes um and also viewing it as you know someone viewing a broadcast that is being viewed by other people right like there's a lot of layers of watching um (laughs) you have like I don't know I feel like there's definitely more emotions I have on this that I haven't really sifted through yet but like I think that is an interesting I like watching movies about movies or like about media objects because there's like a lot of different layers and interpretations of like your role as a viewer if you even have one you know what I mean and how that changes with different aspects of it I don't know this is not really a question this is more just me spitballing no 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 how, how much time do you have for that? Right, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Four hours later. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, for a little background uh, for listeners. So before being a film critic, I, I went to journalism school, studied public affairs. And uh, right after that, I went to work at The Dissolve. And so after that, my public affairs experience kind of ended right um but i i it's 
impossibly hard to extricate myself from. It's not impossible, but it's taken a long time. I will say the last few years, as well as writing criticism, has also made me feel like a lot of major tenets of objectivity are complete and utter bullshit. Yeah, totally. So yeah, that's... I mentioned that because that's kind of the the tip of the iceberg that's right. kind of that's informed. That's a big combo, but yeah, totally. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the tip of the iceberg that's kind of informed mm-hmm. a lot of my watching. And it's it's in part why I, I'm, I'm far more interested in people's worldviews and how right. they communicate with the world than really anything to do with moment-to-moment news, which is in part why I gravitate towards film and and kind of realize that uh, reporting was less for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I also kind of, I sabotaged some opportunities uh, Mm -hmm. because of personal mental illness. I wasn't handling it. I wasn't handling it in a way like I was in denial, uh, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So there is a a deep resonance I I found in in Christine, except I just kind of self-destructed in not as nearly a uh, severe way. I'm trying to think of the proper (laughs) language to communicate the urgency of of what Christine does at the end of this film. Right. so yeah, there are a lot of familiar things here, and I think there's a lot of value in seeing how people interpret stories that seem fixed. Like, I, I think Christine Chubbuck's story in particular is something that has so readily been, you know, mystified around this irrationality is is a harsh word and it you know suggests some things are about mental illness that i don't like but i still feel like that's some of the you know almost like urban legend quality yeah. of chubbick's story right for as many misgivings as i have about this film like i would definitely take a dozen new writers and directors interpretation yeah, of this certainly. but i think again the certain complication of objectivity is it's almost like it's almost like now it's become a certain like treasure hunt for trying to <laughs> figure out the ideologies of yeah. some of these some of these things and i think that has come only with my dissatisfaction with journalism as it was presented to me and yeah. how I was supposed to play it. Yeah. You know, whether... Totally. This, like, game of really weird rules that you have to understand off the bat, just instinctually, and, like, there's very weird parameters and, like, what is what is equitable and what is false balance and, like, all this shit that's, like, none of... Like, what, uh, what does this objectivity even mean? Like, we could talk about that forever, but, like, it's just... <laughs> it's a very insane field and one that is i think rife with a lot of themes and ways to reinterpret it and reimagine it i think especially with this story too like i agree i think i would see the story told by a bunch of different people 
Like, I think that would be a really interesting exercise and, like, this person shrouded in kind of mystery and obscurity, but also high profile in a sense of this very, um, like, talked about event or whatever. It's like a lot of, you can investigate a lot of different things in a lot of different ways, I feel like. I'm curious what you make of this in relation to your background and, you know, especially, like, being a jack of all trades. Like, talk about a thing that's <laughs> never, like, it's, it's fucking hilarious when you look at, uh, you know, what you need for a job. Yeah, I don't know. I, I left J school already disillusioned with journalism, which maybe is not the best way to enter a field that you were trying to get a job in <laughs> and employed in. Um, and I didn't, like, I was doing criticism largely and working retail because I was like, I can't afford to live just on criticism. <laughs> um, for sure. I, I knew I, like, for sure did not want to be a reporter. Like, I knew that mm. I just did not... I have uh, intense anxiety and like, I don't like talking yeah. to people. I don't know. Like I have a very, like, I felt a lot of, I think when I saw Christine for the first time, it really validated a lot of the stuff I was feeling in terms of like, I, I feel like I'm in this thing and I'm passionate about it and I care about it and I want to succeed, but I also don't think I can do this in the way I'm supposed to. Right. Um, and I think so, like, obviously transitioning to social was, was much better of a fit for me because I was like, I can just do stuff that I'm good at from a computer and I don't have to, like, do the stuff. And also amplify the stuff that people that are good at that and, and are equipped to doing that, to, that are doing that stuff every day, right? And I don't know. I think this, like, there's this very tumultuous relationship with, like, news and the news cycle and exposure to that and also just this, like, what you are expected uh, to tolerate and what you're also expected to churn out every day, given there are no resources in terms of financial or mental health, basically. <laughs> like, it's all just like, well, I don't know. Um, and yeah, I think Christine really hit a hit a mark for me where, like, I had, like, a lot of, like, you know, bad mental health stuff and, like, ideation problems and, like, a lot of all this stuff and just being, like, still caring so much about a thing and not knowing how to operate within that structure that doesn't feel like it's welcome for you. And I think Christine is really good at articulating that where it's like she does not know how to quantify her mental illness or her problems um, and uses that as a tool to make her, quote unquote, work better or work harder within a structure um, because that's what she's expected to do. Um, but it becomes like her downfall because there is so much like allocating of instead of caring for herself and pu putting the, that care and devotion into the work, into the product um, which is why I think this movie should be like shown in J school. Like I think like, or, or Kate mm. plays Christine or like at least this conversation about Christine Chubbuck and other people like her. And it's just like, this is, while it is like, you know, very, sometimes can feel like after school, especially. And I totally get that. Um, it's like also something that is important to have like that kind of mentality about for, for something, you know, like that, those are very real things that I feel like if, I wasn't exposed to that. I'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just going to teeter off into a really bad path because of the work and because I care about the work more than I care about if I'm good, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely. No, that makes, that makes complete sense. I, I mean, the immediate relation to ha that is, you know, it's, it's interesting that I know people online who I know just finished journalism school, mm -hmm. but I almost want to interrogate them about, <laughs> like, what does a curriculum look like yeah. right now? 
are they, are they really telling you to be objective right. about protests, for instance? Right. Like, uh, uh, like neo-Nazis are in your fucking neighborhood. Uh, how, how do you write about the Proud Boys? Right. Like, I, I, I am truly fascinated mm-hmm. whether the tenets that I learned have just been transposed right. to the shit show that exists now. <laughs> yeah, I think, and... Yeah, I don't know. There's a there's there's a lot to say on that, certainly. Oh, for but, sure. Like, I think the industry is changing, absolutely. And I think the conversations we're having about objectivity and what that actually means, and if it exists, spoiler alert, it doesn't, um, <laughs> like, are <laughs> happening. And I think they're happening in schools as well, but, like, and, and in newsrooms especially. But, like, there's such a stronghold of the way things are done and the way things have been done, which is weird for an industry that is supposed to quote unquote speak truth to power or like, you know, give a voice to the voiceless or whatever, like all those fucking trite like taglines and slogans about journalism that it's so committed to ways that are kind of antiquated and haven't really evolved with the times. And, you know, there's obviously a huge focus on both sides when really it's more like, a false, a, a false uh, sense of equity and equality. And like, there's actually not really anything equal. We're just letting two people speak that have different opinions and haven't really weighed out the share of voice or like what, what that means and what the impacts are and what the effects are. Um, but I think there are larger conversations going on about actual impact more than content. Um, and I think that's happening, but I think those changes are happening very slowly. <laughs> But I think they're happening. Do you never have an interest in network news? Oh, no, not at all. I, I, if I wanted to do stuff, I wanted to be online or print. Like, I was just like, I'm a writer, like, or like I do Viz stuff, like all that kind of things. I had no broadcast background, period, at all. I didn't take any broadcast classes. I didn't do shit. I was just like, that's not me. And that's not what I want to do. Um, because I, I think I had this mentality of like, you know, round the clock, 24 seven cable news that I was very frustrated with and very like, just, you know, made me disillusioned by, by the whole thing. Because it was just like, we were talking about things for like 30 seconds to two minutes. Like that's it. Um, and that's, that's our hit or whatever. Um, and I was just like, nope, I don't like that. Um, but you know, working at, at, at TTW, uh, and obviously it's more like a long form. It's a, there's a, there's one news show that happens every night, every weeknight. And that's, that's the, it's like an hour and that's the show and everything else is just general PBS programming or whatever. Um, yeah. So it's not just like, you're always scrambling for a story or like trying to, you know, make news out of nothing or, you know, you know, there's, I mean, there's obviously more credit to it given than I'm giving it now, but like, you know, it's a different structure. Totally. Um, and yeah, I think there are larger conversations about like what is, you know, is TV news obsolete or like, is it changing or like, what's, what are, what direction should it head into? Like, I think there's a lot of structural problems um, and things to tackle with that, that I'm not equipped and I don't have the solutions for. <laughs> <laughs> and, and no, absolutely. And I, I think we're all looking yeah. for a way and, th- and then the opposite uh, well, not the opposite, but the counterpoint to all of these is like, I, if I'm honest, I don't really want to 
here, both both sides. Like, I still very much like my bubble, and related to that, like, I see people who have deep integrity about this, and they're losing their day, uh, they're losing their job every fucking day. Yeah. So, it's it's not, you know, it's easy for me to be, like, in my utopian <laughs> journalistic world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so it's easy like, to be pessimistic about journalism. It's so easy. Oh, they make it so easy. <laughs> that, that's, again, why I'm so curious, like, how how they're teaching it right now. Yeah. Like, how... Mm, I, I don't even know. Um, this goes... If I go back to J school, like, I can't even count the number of times, like, it would be, like, Make friends with the cops at a CAPS meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to uh, get in a place to get to know an alderman. Right. Um, but then also call to get this quote. Stand outside their door for right. four hours yep. hoping for a hoping for a totally meaningless quote that also reinforces that this person's a fucking monster. Sure. Like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. like I just like... Everything about that was just so wildly dispiriting, <laughs> which is like, imp- maybe that's what's secretly happening is I just watched this and it was like, fuck the news, fuck the news. Right. I'm going to take it out on this movie. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> I, I get the sense, though, that you have largely positive, positive is always a hard word, positive feelings about this film. Yes. Like, not in terms of criticism, but just largely positive feelings about your experience. Yeah, good vibes. Actually, <laughs> kind of bad vibes, but, like, good Good, good bad vibes. <laughs> Specifically. What do you make, for instance, of something that is more consciously valorizing? Like, something like All of the President's Men, or The Post, or any of those that are very much, like, rah-rah journalism. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't think that all journalism films should be like, boo, journalism is inherently bad and there are problems and like, let's talk about it. I think those are valuable conversations and those are things I'm most interested in, in terms of films mm. about journalism. But I, I also like I love all the president's men and I love like this whole camaraderie of like journalists. Journalists are cool and like they're doing important work and like it's great. And there's obviously a huge stigma uh, against journalists being like they're just, you know, phoning it in or like doing things incorrectly or like you know all this kind of shit that's like gets thrown on stuff sometimes you know maybe correctly but like largely just like totally baseless and totally you know critical of or like not even acknowledging the importance of local news like there's a lot of stuff there right so i i'm all for a positive interpretation of journalism journalists like doing something powerful and good together and you know making positive change because that should be the point right of like journalism the end goal is to you know shine a light on something and hopefully enact positive change like that should be most journalists goal of of doing you know investigative reporting especially Um, not always the case but like that should be usually the goal yeah i'm all for films that kind of confirm this you know, largely shared opinion that journalism is supposed to be a product for good and for positive change. Um, But I'm largely more interested in kind of largely pessimistic films that are more like investigating these internal turmoils and like more nuanced, like 
relationships someone has to the field rather than the work to the general public, if that makes sense. I'm just curious from a personal point of view, was there a specific story or a specific moment that kind of uh, crystallized your disillusion? I don't know. I, mm, no, actually, no, I do know. (laughs) I I remember when uh, the Brett Kavanaugh trials were happening um and I was in J school and we were basically watching the hearings live and had to as an exercise like turn around a story uh while it's happening like as a simulation or whatever um and I just felt like it wasn't that wasn't the point or wasn't my point of doing it like it felt just like how do we turn in something quickly and how do we like get something out as fast as we can, which I think are still, there's validity to that being important. Um, But I was just like, this is something that needs like time and compassion and like, you know, there's like so many other factors besides a deadline, you know? And it's like, that's like the way that journalists like represent something or depict something is how much of the public also ingests that same information. And like that, there's a huge responsibility mm. to that. And, you know, there's like obviously pressures of of getting there when it's hot and like when as in getting that information out as soon as possible so other people can get that. But it's like what that that means nothing if that information is like not strong or like wrong or like, you know, just like framing things in an unjust way or whatever because of time deadlines and because of lack of resources or whatever, like. And I just remember that being, like, a huge moment, being like, I fucking hate this. Like, this sucks. <laughs> this sucks. Like, I I feel bad. Like, you know, like, there's just, like, ah, there's so many layers of, like, shit that was just, like, ah, it, so many conflicting feelings. <laughs> Can you speak to a little bit, like, I, so what, what did they want in that? Or do you think really it was mostly about that, simulation as it existed. Yeah. Do you think they really wanted the same thing, you know, for instance, if it was, oh, I'm trying to think of a comparable event. I I, I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, an, an education, uh, sorry, uh, CPS education, sure. uh, or excuse me, a CTU uh, <laughs> education meeting. Yeah, I don't know. I think that was the example because it was the biggest thing happening at that moment. Um, and sure. the timing worked out. And I think it was more just like, simulating real life, you know, being in a courthouse or like, you know, having all this stuff and like, you know, being or watching something live as it's happening and having to turn something in before it's done, basically. <laughs> like, I think that was largely it. And that was the example because it was the moment or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was just like very conflicting and very confusing and just like, ah, I don't know if this is the move that I particularly want to make. Um and how I want to do things. But, you know, that's not everyone's experience. I, th- I think it's fascinating to, uh, oh man, this is its own Pandora's box. Yeah, seriously. The, the whole notion of, you know, whether you are reading breaking news about Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. and those are not the things I remember. The things right. I remember is, you know, like people digging into themselves, mm-hmm. trying to understand their own trauma and what it was like seeing this woman's 
uh, trauma become its own exhibition. Yeah, totally. Uh, that then also, you know, um, determines something wildly influential. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's it feels really significant to me that again, speaking to those best pieces that were often op eds, um, they were less. I, I mean, obviously, the news was the. Supreme Court, uh, yeah, Supreme Court, not designation, sorry, um, yeah, nomination, but, um, but that's not really what those pieces were about. Right. That was very much the crux of, like, breaking news pieces, whether Mm -hmm. the Times or, you know, nationally across the country, whether it was anything from local papers to AP or anything, like, that's how they framed it, Mm -hmm. but, like, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, the entire idea of doing, like, an accelerated reporting yeah. on the Kavanaugh trials, like, so distasteful. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, like, on the same sense, like, given how frequent shootings are and the, you know, the drip feed of how information comes out. Right. Um, I, I don't blame them in, in a way. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I, I guess, like, maybe to make this slightly less of a cloud, like, I will say that I am not sure how much news as it exists in this moment isn't just for, isn't for me, mm. as much as whether it is fundamentally flawed. Right. I think I resort to the latter mm. a lot. Yeah. Because I feel like it's missing key things of which you, in, of which you in fact mentioned, which right. is uh, the notion of subjectivity and compassion, mm-hmm. uh, two things that I think are lost in a lot of reporting. Yeah, which is in fact, like to speak of Chicago, that's in fact why I love something like the Tribe. Yeah, for instance, totally. mm-hmm. or Chicago Black Club. Yeah, like, that is on the ground reporting that you can also tell the people who are on the ground. It's not simply about, you know, whether they're going to, you know, be antagonized by police. Right. They know it's deeply important what's happening there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm on, I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I, I want to be clear, people. I don't hate journalism. Oh, no. I mean, I, I find it very difficult to keep up with journalism yeah. right now for many, many reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's just, uh, but I, I guess what I'd also say is what I want from the news is wildly different from what for, per se, like my mom mm-hmm. wants from the news. <laughs> and in a way, I think Christine is, is kind of about that, but I also don't even know if what she wants is more experimental no. news. I, yeah. I'm not sure she even knows what she wants. No, yeah. I, I think it's still this, like, wrestling with just wanting upward mobility within something, rather than, like, she does care about investigative stuff, and she does care about, like, but it's less of, like, an equity position, or less of, like, something that is, like, changing the structure of the station or something. Um, Cause she, you know, she adapts and goes with, you know, the different needs of the station at different times. Um, but yeah, I don't think she has like this moral 
connection or moral pull in a way to change or make large sweeping changes or to like really wrestle with with uh, the way they do things in a in a substantial way. Finally, I the last thing I the last thing before the uh, ending of the podcast I like to do is I like to um, ask the guest, you know, what kind of, you know, if the, if the listener was interested in this film and uh, I, I hope you guys have watched it cause we talked yeah. about it <laughs> in full, <laughs> but um, I, I, either way, if uh, a listener was interested in this film, are there any, um, any other, you know, works you would suggest, whether it can be anything from another film to, you know, uh, novel, uh, criticism, writing? I, I'm just curious if you think that there's anything uh, that grapples with some similar themes or uh, ideas as this. Yeah, um, I would recommend this movie called Emma Peters. Uh, it's by Nicole Paolo, uh, 2018, I believe. Um I first saw it, I think, at the European European Union Film Festival like a couple years ago, um, and it is basically about this woman who like decides because she's like trying to be an actress or whatever, and it's not doing great uh, in Paris, um, and she decides that on her thirty fifth birthday she's going to kill herself, um, and then it becomes this very dark romantic comedy <laughs> where she like meets like she's basically planning out her entire funeral and her death very deliberately kind of in a way that Christine is in her obsessions right um and meets a funeral director and then kind of has this weird macabre relationship and it's like a very interesting examination of like suicide and and kind of like and also with like a career perspective too of being like there is not I cannot you know move forward in this thing that I really care about. And I just don't think there's anything else to it. And like my relationships are shit or whatever, like all these things. And just like, it's a very interesting movie that deals with certain similar themes. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at this on a letterbox and I, I love that it's, uh, I, I'll just go to the, the, uh, Excuse me. The second sentence. She decides to commit suicide on her thirty-fifth birthday. That is when she meets Alex, a funeral home employee. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm getting like Harold and Maude vibes with this, totally. but not the May December relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll have to I'll have to check this out. This sounds interesting. Okay, uh, finally, we can uh, get to uh, final things where we talk about where we can be found, etc. But first, I would like to, again, um, uh, give my thanks to Mubi, our sponsor. If you'd like to try a 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. And uh, Cody, where can you be found these days? Uh, I am extremely online at Cody Corral <laughs> uh, and also into the twilight. Uh, that's where I'm also at all the time. Extremely online, <laughs> just yelling into the void. How often do you release uh, into the twilight then? Into the twilight comes out once a week, every Monday. Uh, and then we also have a Patreon where we do bonus episodes about things that are actually things we enjoy besides Twilight, <laughs> things we actually think are very good, uh, once a month on our Patreon. Uh, so that's fun. 
that that makes it sound like you have a love hate relationship with Twilight. Is that fair? Oh to yes, say? certainly. Yes, yeah, yeah. And you can find me on Twitter at at Snydell, and uh, where I am far too online for my own good. And you can find me on Letterbox and our Slack channel if you uh, would like to. Uh, join our Patreon. It's um, really pretty busy these days, and we've been doing uh, regular cinephile game nights every week uh, with the Blu-ray giveaways. So if you're interested in that, um, go to the Film Stage Show Patreon and uh, sign up and uh, get in on that. Um, And as far as the main Film Stage Show, our next episode is about Borat 2 with the really long subtitle that I'm not going to say. Uh, and that will be with a uh, guest we haven't had on in, in a bit, um, Allison Shoemaker. So uh, that film is on Prime now, and you can watch it uh, before we talk about it. And uh, before it seems to make news, from, from what I understand. So uh, thank you uh, so much for everybody to listen. Thank you, Cody, so much for enjoying me for this wildly ranging conversation. Of course, thank you for having <laughs> I feel like this always happens. We just go into tangent city. I think it's a me problem. I think. <laughs> well, if it's if it's a you problem, then that would not explain why every episode of the film stage show has somehow been almost two hours. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know why that keep hap- keeps yeah. happening. I blame Brian Rowan. Um, yes. So. Thank you again to everyone listening, and we will see you on the next intermission. Bye-bye.